Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years' combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. Well, I'm ready to take it away. (laughs) So we are here, actually, this moment, sitting across from each other, as we have had some very interesting recording sessions for these shows the last few weeks. It's really nice to see you, literally. Yay! Hello. (laughs) So, um, as always, we are in the process of this particular show. We will be looking at another tradition, but before we jump in, we always try and touch base with what's happened in our world since the last time, and I'm just waiting with bated breath to find out how your week went. I have no idea. My week was swell, um, I guess. <laughs> really? Uh, it's just a little, it's busy time of the year and getting ready for the holidays and the the Goddess Craft Fair that's happening in Sebastopol oh, this weekend. Wow. And, and, you know, all of the hustle and bustle. Yes. All of that. It's pretty much it at the moment, just... Um, lots of prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, we make a lot of products at Milk and Honey, so I've been stocking up on my ingredients because uh-huh. I haven't had to make things in a couple of weeks. And when I went to check my stores, I was like, "Oh, I'm out of this herb and this oil and this and this and this and this and this and this." And this. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of feels weird. You yeah, know, like naked. Yeah, so I had to get quite a big herb order in today, and I got Uh some essential oils to make our sprays and oil blends, so that'll be happening this coming week when everything arrives. So that's always fun, but, you know, it's a lot of... A lot of prep, little elves at the, in in the kitchen working away. <laughs> How are you, Elvira? Oh, hey, you know, I'm doing fine, actually. Um, this week has been full of retrograde things before retrograde, mercury retrograde hits. It's it's And it was interesting because um, I had a client last Saturday, and we were talking about it, and it's like she was going, I feel this and this, and I'm going, yeah, because a lot of us that are more aware of the energy start to feel the disjointed energy start to come in. Yeah. And then literally the last week of whatever the retrograde is, especially Mercury being short, you feel like, oh, nothing, you know, like it's it's almost over because you're so used to the process. But, um, you know, it's just been strange people talking to you and having different things happen and, you know, uh, clients that are coming back out of nowhere because their world needs to have a tune-up or whatever. So it, you know, that's been it, and then it's just a lot of, just like you, prep work. I don't have a retail store, but it's prep work for, 
you know, the holiday, getting the gifts in order, and since I'm obviously going to be going out of town, making sure that everything is being sent and it's been received and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I was, um, I'm not quite in the holiday spirit like, wow, but, you know, I think by Sunday when I start pulling all my Christmas stuff out, I'm going to start throwing on every DVD that I have that's Christmas, which is a lot. Starting with the black and white ones and going from there. I actually, um, my daughter pulled her stuff out and she was talking to me. She says, we're going to get a real Christmas tree. Because up till now, her husband wasn't enthused about it and for whatever reason. So she got that and and I asked her some questions. Because every year I try to stock her up with Christmas DVDs. Because she remembers, like, she will not. Christmas is not Christmas unless she watches White Christmas with Bing Crosby and all of those people. And she even said that to me. She said, well, it isn't Christmas until I've actually watched. Because she remembers I had that on so often, and I would, because we didn't have real TV. We were on VHSs because we were in a canyon. But... um, it was that was Christmas, and she remembered my getting decorating up done and everything. And she's she does the same. I I feel like I've inspired her to continue the over decoration. <laughs> She'll decorate like I decorate bathrooms right. with Christmas. I will decorate everywhere. You better watch out walking in. I might decorate you. <laughs> and she does the same thing. So I was I was just excited about watching this, and we did a little you know video chat, and so of course that was really fun. Nice. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I get all excited when that happens, and who knows? I never know if I go back there to get a white Christmas. Yeah. You know, because that's their, that, they get snow there. Right. Yeah, you won't get that where we are. No. No. Which I'm grateful for. <laughs> you know, it, it does kind of, uh, anyway. Yeah. So, shall we dive in? Shall, yeah. Or paddling? Oh, let's do it. <laughs> Reclaiming, that is our tradition that we are talking about. Yes, our ongoing exploration of different traditions yes. of witchcraft. We come to the reclaiming tradition of witchcraft. And I will admit, I did no research. I took no notes. I am completely ill-prepared. But this is my home tradition, so I better know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, she told me that, and I giggled. Giggled, mind you, because this is something she... Teaches with yeah. camp. She is part of this. She, you know, I just thought, well, if you had to know. sit down and do notes, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah I should know. Yeah, well, there's, see it. there's like date. I'm bad with dates. I've always been bad with dates, like you know, historically. So, I'm well, like, I can tell you, it yeah. was founded in 1979. 79, uh huh. Yep, that's cool. what it says right here. Nice. Yep. So it it was founded, and of course it went on. It was in San Francisco. Right. This is a tradition that started in the Bay Area of mm-hmm. California, the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, I guess we could argue if this is the first tradition to start in the Bay Area or not. But during the late '70s, there was a really big movement in this mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. and. Uh, where because Elvira and I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yes, we do. Um, so this, there was a big movement of of witchcraft, really witchcraft and paganism and alternative spirituality mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, feminism. That that second wave of feminism and and what what was started. And I've heard seventy seven. I've heard seventy eight. I've heard seventy nine. 
Well, yeah, they have like it says the context of the Reclaiming Collective, 1978 to 1997, and then of course it says founded in 1979, uh, 1979, right. and then it says over here in the summer of 1980, mm-hmm. they Diane Baker and Starhawk started right. to blah blah blah. Right. So pick your date. Yeah, one of those years. And what's interesting is Elvira used the word collective, because at the beginning in the late 70s and the early 80s. Starhawk and Diane Baker are considered the the foremothers of reclaiming, but there were others. Mm-hmm. Rosemary Dance was around in those early days. Pandora O'Malley was around in those early days. Maka Nightmare was around in those early days, and there are others whose names I don't know off the top of my head. I know Bone Blossom is one, and there's another person that's like floating around in there that I should be able to name. But there was uh, several women, and what mostly what was happening is especially Starhawk, um, who the Spiral Dance was published in what, 80, 81? Really early. Very early. Um, th- this group of people were taking feminist workshops together in colleges. And these women were learning from Victor and Cora Anderson, right. who were doing the fairy tradition. Right. And so, and Starhawk also was learning from Z Budapest, who is a Hispanic mm-hmm. witch practitioner. Right. So they sort of these these women became friends. They started teaching each other the skills they were learning. Starhawk was teaching classes on women's spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, and it just sort of became this thing. It right. kind of fell together where they would do rituals together and they would go to Ocean Beach for winter solstice and all get naked and run into the ocean and then come back and have a bonfire. And uh, it just kind of started to come together. And it was a collective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the collective continued to grow. Right. Uh, there is there The whole thing of reclaiming is there is no hierarchy. Right. No one is in charge. It, it was meant to stay as a collective. Um, women were always the majority, and that's still true today. Women and gay men, and are you know that's kind of the tier. It's mm-hmm. gay men, and then the, the few heterosexual men <laughs> kind of hang out <laughs> down hang there. Out. So. And that's grown really, but not as much mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as the other sort of labels we could put on people. Right. Right. And I know that from the different things they're talking about is that the things that you have mentioned in previous um, talks uh, were part of the different classes they started putting together. And they kind of, as you said, they grew from like the elements of magic, you know, the elements, the four, the five elements. And then it went into the the, uh, uh, iron pentacle and the pearl pentacle. Right. So, right. so we have an audience, so you may hear little bits of pieces of, of thoughts that get thrown out. So the Elements of Magic class is sort of the it's the intro to reclaiming style magic, right? Right. And you right. Can find, and now, you know, it's 2017 now, you can find reclaiming classes being taught all over the world. There's reclaiming classes on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Midwest, Europe, Australia, yes. South America, and Brazil. So it's it's grown a lot. From it's international. The, yeah, from the Bay Area in the late 70s to everywhere in 2017. Right. And Elements of Magic is, is that introductory class. Right. And then, as you mentioned, the Iron Pentacle and the Pentacle of Pearl, which actually come from 
the fairy tradition. See, I didn't know that it came from the fairy tradition. I know that when you were talking about it, it came, you know, it was like, oh, this is this and this. And then I started reading a little bit more about it Mm -hmm. because, obviously, I am not as knowledgeable about this tradition or the things because I haven't studied it. But then I began to go, oh, that's kind of the outside version of what the Iron Pentacle is, the internal version of what you do with um, exploration and your personal ethics and things that you're you're looking at. Right. Right. Iron and the Pearl Pentacles. uh, And these are workshops that are often taught pretty regularly around the world. You do it. I do. I teach. I'm starting an Iron Pentacle in January. And they're often taught in a six-week format or right. weekend intensives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the Rites of Passage class, which is really about recognizing how we're always in Rites of Passages and honoring them. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of dream work, too, that happens mm-hmm. in that, that workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a newer workshop the community workshop. And so a lot of this is because reclaiming works with consensus process. Right. And we're not hierarchical, and it's an anarchist tradition. So you're going to get to hear me talk about all the things I love about reclaiming and all the things that make me freaking bananas about reclaiming. (laughs) And and one of those things is, you know, consensus process, anarchist tradition, non-hierarchical. I love it, and it makes me bananas sometimes. But but because it's very ponderous and very slow. It is. I and mean, everyone gets heard. Yes. Ideally. If you're Ideally, doing, right. yes, if, yeah. if you're going to get everyone heard. Um, and that's the problem, and that's the, the, that's the, the joy of absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, you have both. So in reality, when I was reading this, I was going... This is really great. I mean, it's very tribal. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, that that group point of reference. Yes. But yeah. you have a large group with a lot of consensus, yeah. and it comes to a long time. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I'm going to throw in something that may not even have anything to do with it, but it does in my mind, and that is, you look at what they're doing in the Senate and the House of Representatives, especially the House of Representatives. It's slow. It's ponderous. Yes, these are one people, certain number of people that are there. Yeah. But they're spending a ton of time over minutia and everything. Right. So, right. And that's, that's majority, right? So with consensus, everyone has to agree or it doesn't happen. Exactly. And, and so that requires... That requires process, and that requires being right-sized, and that requires being honest, and that requires speaking up when you aren't in alignment with something, and that requires holding people accountable, mm-hmm. and that's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard, and the, the part, the, as, as a community member of this tradition, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. It's hard work, but it makes it worth it when everyone is, is right-sized and speaking honestly, and, and, and what's challenging and, and curious about it is it's not like because there's no hierarchy it's not like california and the bay area is the mothership that's not true mm-hmm. we're all autonomous so mm-hmm. so san francisco bay area is a group but the north bay where we live we're our own group right and portland has their own group and seattle and bc have a group and minneapolis has a group and texas has a group and and on and on and on and on and on. I don't need to name all these. Right. So then if all of these are singular groups, mm-hmm. then if they choose to come together as a huge group, then it becomes um, even more. Right. And that does happen. 
um, in the last decade or so, there's been an event called Dandelion, mm-hmm. and it's for worldwide reclaiming people to attend where mm-hmm. we can talk about process and potentially, if possible, <laughs> make decisions mm-hmm. about the global reclaiming system. Because in 1978 or whatever, we right. were a collective, right. but we grew and grew and grew and spread, mm-hmm. and people moved away, and people read Starhawk's book, The Spiral Dance, and right. invited her to teach and then started their own groups in London or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. And by the late 90s, it was clear that it was actually too big to be called a collective anymore. Right. So the collective was officially disbanded. Right. And it became a tradition. Right. Now it's the reclaiming tradition instead of the reclaiming collective. And so all of these disparate groups work autonomously. We don't have one 501 status. San Francisco has their own. There's one in Detroit. There's Mm -hmm. one in New York, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But they all do it their own way. Right. Every community does it their own way. The one thing that unifies us as reclaiming witches is the principles of unity. Which I believe was also modified in terms of the sexuality. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so the Principles of Unity is a long document. Right. I'm not going to read it. No. Feel free to go onto the Reclaiming Org website Mm -hmm. if you are interested Mm -hmm. in Principles of Unity. But Mm -hmm. it basically says this is what it means to be a Reclaiming Witch. Right. And it talks about some of the things we're going to talk about on this radio program. And that was put into place in the late 90s. And then uh, five years ago? Yeah, about. Something like that? It was ratified. Yeah. Because it was very binary in language. And reclaiming, and I believe this to be true. I would love to, if someone disagrees with me, I would love to hear your (laughs) Your take on it. (laughs) Yeah. Reclaiming has been at the forefront of trans acceptance. Right. Since I can't even remember when. Like, I feel like reclaiming has been helping trans inclusivity happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so part of the principles of unity was very binary in, in gender around deity. Right. And right. very binary around sexuality and um, gender terms. Mm-hmm. So the language was expanded to say God, goddess, and mysterious ones. Right. And to take gender out of deity. Right. And even there are reclaimers who don't believe in deity. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make that more all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the language was changed to say that we welcome all races, all creeds, all genders, uh, all gender histories, mm-hmm. all sexualities, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we added that gender inclusivity language, right. which is, a, I'm really proud of that, actually. I think it really takes a big step, mm-hmm. you know, because you have, okay, you have different traditions, some yeah. of which we've talked about, that are, are definitely male, female, priest, priestess yeah. orientated. Yeah. Then you have some that are dionic, yeah. which of course we've mentioned the Budapest. And then you have ones where they are I don't, and I'm, I'm, you know, we have the traditions that are bringing forth the ability to be more one gender specific, all right? Then you have ones that now with this you're saying it is all, it is everything, it is anything within the dynamics because it is, we are all representations of the one 
big source. Right, and even that can be argued. That uh-huh. the, Again, the thing I love and the thing that bananas is it's, <laughs> it's an anarchist tradition, and so what I believe and what you believe could be the totally different things. You, uh-huh. could, you could be a Jesus-worshipping, hippie-loving anarchist that lives in the city and loves, you know, organic broccoli or whatever. And I could be non-deist, living out in a commune in the woods and only using a compost toilet, and we could both be reclaiming witches. Right, you know? right. So that's, it's it's beautiful, and there's not you're not going to look at someone and go, oh, they're a reclaimer, because we're all so very different. Right. There isn't a unifying practice, but there is a unifying energy. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing that, I found resonated is that it is the energy. Yeah. Whether how you have described it or how you hold it or whatever, it's the energy. Yeah. Which, if you look at what's out there, it is all one energy anyway. How it gets manifested and through what means. Yeah. So that kind of makes a a point there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's that gives a sort of a history and an idea. Right. Of where you know the things are, I found in that <laughs> the classes that intrigued me. I mean, you talked about the rites of passage, but then they talked about I think um, the different people, the different students, the holy terrors and the wind hags, and, and the original covens. Yes, the covens that really started, and I love the names of I them. I know. That was like, wow, that's yeah, really the holy cool. Holy terrors and the wind hags are two of the original covens yeah. that started teaching element. I have notes from Rose May Dance, who's one of the originators mm-hmm. of claiming from 81, mm-hmm. the original class syllabus of Elements of Magic, Iron Pentacle, and wow. Pearl. And the classes, that's the other thing, right? Mm-hmm. The, the class, if you take elements from me mm-hmm. and then you take it from someone else in a year from now, we're going to do some things the same, but it's going to be a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever teach by myself in reclaiming. We always have a co-facilitator, at least one, because mm-hmm. we share power. Mm-hmm. There's never one person in charge. Mm-hmm. There's never one person who has all the answers. It's always shared power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always, um, we work with the this principle, all of our rituals and workshops are E-I-E-I-O. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to remember what all this stands for. Energetic, inspirational, mm-hmm. ensemble, mm-hmm. organic is the O, mm-hmm. and I can't remember what the other I is. But basically the whole point is we're an ecstatic tradition. Right. We may have a plan, but we don't read liturgy. We right. don't read ritual. We don't read class syllabus. We create it in the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. We let spirit speak through us. We mm-hmm. let the energy of what needs to happen in the moment speak through us. Right. We have to be flexible mm-hmm. um, and pay attention to what the needs of that moment are. Right. And I've been to a lot of different tradition rituals. I've experienced a lot of different types of ritual. And I I say this every year at Pantheacon. There is no <laughs> other tradition that raises energy like reclaiming. Yeah. Not the best at everything, but we're the best at that. Yeah. If you want to get your mind blown by a cone of power, go to a reclaiming ritual. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look at what they were doing. They were out there 
uh, protest. Yeah, yeah, you, you know about that, right? Yeah, we really have to. <laughs> I mean, it says right here. I love this. You know, pro- prominently active in anti-nuclear civil disobedience in such places as Lawrence Livermore Lab mm-hmm. and Diablo Canyon. Yeah, I okay. love that. So I have this story. Oh, good. So I know a lot of the founders of Reclaiming. I've had the. I'm blessed to have taught with some of them. I'm blessed to call some of them friends and initiators. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blessed. So. Um, and I was working on this project for a while called Access Mundi, which is an online mm-hmm. syllabus for reclaiming. Um, so I'm no longer involved because my life is too busy. <laughs> and it's a great, great program. Right. So during this program, we were talking about all of the the actions that, right. that early reclaiming people were involved with, protests and um, you know, being involved in that counterculture movement is really important. And the Lawrence Livermore Lab and many of the um, Diablo Cannon and a lot of these places that run on nuclear power or are nuclear power plants were heavily protested by early reclaiming people. Mm-hmm. And there is a story about a group, uh, a small, I don't remember if they were a, like, a, what is the word I'm looking for, affinity group. Often mm-hmm. when you go to protest, and you're with a large group, people will make these small affinity groups of three to four people. Right. So if shit hits the fan and, and everyone who's protesting needs to scatter, you stay with your affinity group. Right. So you're never alone, right? Right. So I'm not sure if these if this spell was done by an affinity group or a coven, but they were working really hard to make Diablo Canyon not happen. Mm-hmm. So they were doing, they had a mole inside that worked for the company, mm-hmm. and they were getting them information on when certain things were happening and what certain dates meetings were taking place and things like this. So they were doing all of this spell work to turn mm-hmm. it upside down. Mm-hmm. Turn it upside down, flip it on its head, make it stop, make it confused, all of this. Right. To this day, I love this. To this day, the building that the Diablo Canyon Center is upside down. It was built backwards. Oh, my god! Something happened in the plans. Oh, my god! And the building is built in reverse of what the original plan stated. Oh, wow. I love that story That's so great. Much. That's great. There's all kinds of stuff like that in the early. And I, you know, in the, in the early 80s, I was like three, so I wouldn't have been able to right. have been involved in any of this. Right. But it's, I love these, those old stories. I know. I know. It was funny because, well, see, I came up here officially in 1985, actually. And, you know, that was my, when I, when I came here with my husband and I was pregnant and I had my daughter and we opened our metaphysical store and all, yeah. that was when I started to actively get involved with the different people and got to know what was happening. I, you know, I was Southern California, which has also got its its milieu of, of things. Yeah. But um, this became like I was really with the people. Yeah. And, you know, we were enjoying ourselves totally. And, and so it was, we may not have been participating in some of these things, but it was very real because we knew of them. We were, you know, on the periphery, so to speak. And a lot of the places where there is a hub of reclaiming, there are public rituals happening. Mm -hmm. That's not true everywhere. You know, there's some thriving communities where they don't do public rituals, but a lot of places are are doing public rituals. And if you go to the reclaiming.org website, you can plug into some of these communities. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, there's a lot in Europe. There's several different communities in Australia, mm-hmm. Brazil. I don't think there's any others in South America right now. Sometimes they come and go all along the West Coast. 
mm-hmm. all along the East Coast. Um, and there used to be a stronger Midwest contingent, but that has waxed and waned over the mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Texas, um, the Twin Cities, of course, there's a ton of pagans up in the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. and Chicago and Detroit. Uh, so, you know, there's mm-hmm. Canada, lots yeah. of different places in Canada. Canada. So there's, there is a lot of um, reclaiming communities that you can tap into mm-hmm. when you are curious about learning more. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good because I know that as I was thinking and moving into the realities of changing locations, I go to a place where, to me, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm thinking of this, so I need to look because I have no idea. You get into the south, you get into, you know, the border of Midwest and south. I don't know what's going on there. Right. I mean, I am aware of East Coast, West Coast, you know, as we say, the, you know, Detroit and, you know, Minneapolis, Minnesota, that area. Is, you know, but mm, who yeah. knows? It's yeah. kind of a, a interesting uh, exploration. Yeah. So this will give me something to do on another point of reference while I'm waiting for my plane. <laughs> so, but, yeah, that was that was one of the things. And actually, I did find it. And it was just, you had improvisational and inspired. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a joke that uh, is said in Reclaiming that if you do it once, it's innovation. If you do it twice, it's tradition. Yeah. Because we don't have liturgy. So there, if you go to a Beltane ritual three years in a row, it will be a different ritual every time. If you go to a Beltane ritual in three different communities in the same year, going to be three different rituals there is mm-hmm. there's very little repeat mm-hmm. there are a few things that you find uh, over and over again mm-hmm. there are two 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 i would say two two traditions that are repeated and the first is the actual spiral dance mm-hmm. the dance of it mm-hmm. and Sarah Hawk did not invent this dance but she did definitely popularize it in mm-hmm. modern paganism mm-hmm and it's spiral, you know. It's not a dance, really. It's a shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> you hold hands and you move, and there's this like kind of like the snake, you know. There's, right. there's the leader, the head, and the tail, and the leader spirals in, and it is kind of a tricky thing if you've never led it before because it's not a snake dance. There's uh-huh. a little bit of math to it. And when the leader realizes that it's time, they turn in on the spiral. So then you are moving back out. Right. And it gives you an opportunity to look at every other person in that spiral. And typically, we're singing when this happens. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of moving. It can get a little psychedelic because faces are moving past mm-hmm. and everyone's smiling. And, mm-hmm. and then when the leader, the head of the spiral, realizes it's time again, they turn again back on the spiral. And now they're going in again. And you get a second opportunity to look at everyone and right. smile back back into the center, right? and then when the spiral has unwound itself, everyone's again moving in the same direction. And by then, you've sung. Typically, the music starts to pick up a little bit. The tempo picks up a little bit. You can feel the energy mm-hmm. raising. You can. It starts to get palpable. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's often drubbing, and, and that's when the, that cone of power is built. And mm-hmm. that is a classic reclaiming thing. It doesn't always happen, but it happens more often than not. Right. And then there is a ritual called um, Waters of the World. Mm-hmm. And this was started by Starhawk and um, Chief Louisa Tisch, mm-hmm. who is not a reclaiming witch, but has been um, 
involved in much mm-hmm. reclaiming stuff, especially mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they w- traveled a lot. Louisa te- teaches in lots of places. If you've never heard of her, she is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. Read her books. Listen to her talks. Jambalaya? Jambalaya is yeah, one of her books. Yeah, book. she's, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I took a w- workshop from her. That I w- it was awesome. She's mm-hmm. awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> She travels a lot, Starhawk travels a lot, and they started um, bringing each other water from Mm -hmm. places where they traveled. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, I got jars of water. What the hell am I going to do with all this water? (laughs) And so they just, uh, Starhawk came back from someplace in South America where the water was being poisoned because of logging and Mm -hmm. greed and, you know, things like that. And so they decided to take some of this poisoned water and combine it with healthy, clean water and uh-huh. do a ritual for it. Uh-huh. And now this happens at Imbolc every year uh-huh. in the Bay Area uh-huh. and some other communities too. But every year in San Francisco, they do the waters of the world and people bring water from all over the world uh-huh. and it gets combined into a, a, um, a well, basically a, a well is created. And it is um, believed that all by doing this magic, all water will be clean. All water is one water. Water is life. Mm-hmm. May all the waters run free, and may all the waters be free. Right. Right. So the goal of this spell and this ritual is to clean the waters of the earth, and it's been going on, I want to say, when did Reagan get elected? 80 or 84? Somewhere in there. So that's when this ritual started. Yeah. It was right after the Reagan election. Wow. When people were starting to terrified for the future. Yeah. Who knew it could get so much worse? That's what I was going to say. She took the words right out of my mouth. I know. I, I know. I that the other day. I thought I couldn't be more embarrassed of George Bush. Boy, the universe really had to. Well, you know, think, think of what's going on, mm-hmm. and then we'll break. Uh, <laughs> think of what's going on. We have got one of the most buffoon presidents. Now, we thought that. Different ones had different problems that were so glaring and and disgusting. And now what we've got is the basis of the base. So if you're looking at anything, even if you're looking at somebody who's an addict, if you get to the bottom of that well, you have nothing but to look upwards and to start moving forward. So if we're going to look at it from a more positive way we'll climb our way out of this we will we will still be here we will have that but you're right getting worse is where we are now yeah yeah and on that i think we should do a break all right and then i'll think about whiskey oh goody okay all right You're listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Stay tuned, as more magic is coming your way right after these messages. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, 
Tuesdays, 5 to 6. Food and Foxy, Madame Nadia and Jaya Dania, Wednesdays, 6 to 7. And The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron, with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. We're short. We're here. We're back. We're back. And now, Witch Camp. I don't know when Witch Camp started. It's been at least 30 years. I think BC Witch Camp says that they're on their 31st year this year, 31st or 32nd. Mm -hmm. But basically, they did these six-week classes um, where, you know, elements of magic and then later iron and pearl and then later rites of passage. And their people were saying, we love these six-week classes, but it would be great if we could get together and do magic and live in community for like a week. Right. We should do like a witch camp. And so a witch camp was born. Right. And uh, a witch camp now happens all over the world. Mm-hmm. Again, it's spread. <laughs> um BC Witch Camp, I believe, is the oldest, followed closely by California Witch Camp. Mm -hmm. And then the other camps, you know, are somewhere after that. I think the youngest camp is Maine Witch Camp, which started this year in 2017. There's still new camps being born and camps going into hiatus. Um, There's a Tejas Witch Camp that went into hiatus for about five years and just restarted two years ago. Mm -hmm. You know. Things come cyclically. Basically, a witch camp is a is an intensive, and right. um, they're usually five to seven days. Some of mm-hmm. them are a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. but it's seven days of ritual every night, um, workshops every day, mm-hmm. shared food, mm-hmm. shared space, shared mm-hmm. experience, and. You know, you basically live in a bubble for seven days mm-hmm. with these hundred other people, 50 to 100 other people going through a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Most often at witch camp, a story or a myth is chosen. Right. Um, for example, I taught at California Witch Camp this past summer, mm-hmm. and we were working with Ariadne and the Minotaur as our myth. Right. So we we encourage the folks who are coming as participants to step into this myth and to explore the labyrinth and and to face the Minotaur and to mm-hmm. look at how are you the Minotaur and how are you the one facing the monster. And, and right. so we, we step into this mythopoetic realm mm-hmm. in order to do healing on ourselves, healing on the planet, to become stronger witches, mm-hmm. to do magic. I mean, it's in, and it is intense. It is mm-hmm. intense, and it can really be life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of my favorite things ever. Interesting. I know that somewhere in one of my wanderings or readings, it talks about the different uh, elements that have, you know, been influencing. You know, like um, the religious society of friends, the Quakers. Yes. Um, but the one thing that caught my mind was that there was the Hawaiian. Yeah part of you know well, what has I can explain that. Well that's good because then I will say my thoughts on that. But I'll let you explain first because it may sound stupid after what you said. Oh okay. Okay. So the reason there is a Hawaiian um influence in reclaiming is right. because of fairy. Because Victor Anderson borrowed 
things from um, the Hawaiian tradition, like the the kala. Uh-huh. Uh, kala is a, a basically kind of like a water blessing uh-huh. where you release into the water what you need to change, uh-huh. and the water is transmutated, and then you then drink that water back uh-huh. in to cleanse and purify your your mind, body, and spirit. Right. So that is, Kala is really the only Hawaiian influence that I know of. Mm-hmm. There could definitely be others, mm-hmm. but they they don't impact me. Right. You know? Understandable. Well, it's interesting because you talk about witch camp. And when I trained with one of the last living, you know, lineaged um, kahunas, it was a navigational kahuna. And what we would do is literally mm-hmm. we would be there for two weeks. Yeah. And we would live and eat together right. for two weeks. Right. And we would do the flying. We would do the whole process. There would be all these different things. He took and did smaller workshops for, like, weeks. But the one that was the primary one that busted doors down for all of the issues that you had and got you in tune with the energy and, you know, moved it yeah. was the two-week intensive. And I thought of that when I was hearing that what you were saying as well as what I was reading about the witch camp because it was a bubble right you know we never saw the outside world we would yep. we were told to go to the ocean and we would have to do this at six o'clock in the morning and swim in the ocean because we had to clear out all the energy and the ocean is the the salt water right and I could tell you some of it was damn cold <laughs> and you'd think Hawaii was warm and then you'd come back and then you'd get ready and you go to family breakfast and then you would clear it off and then you would go in and you would get some you don't get a lot of talking you just get a lot of work like a lot of energy a lot of movement and then you know then you get your break and then you have to go again to the ocean and then you come back you know and it's very there's a a flow so it's very interesting that though you the way witch camps are taught mm-hmm. is that it is the rituals, it is the myth, it is the gathering. Yeah. It is the same concept of immersing yourself in that yeah. energy. Yeah. And each witch camp is, it's again, autonomous. Mm-hmm. And different witch camps work different ways. For example, California camp um, is owned by one particular person. She is the main organizer. She paid the original organizers to have rights to mm-hmm. the name and mm-hmm. to the, the processing. So she works with groups. She doesn't do it all on her own, and she asks for input, and she hires people to do specific mm-hmm. tasks. But she owns the rights to California mm-hmm. Witch Camp. Um, Spiral Heart Camp, which happens in Pennsylvania, is more of a collective. Everything is done by a group. No one mm-hmm. has ownership. Mm-hmm. And then there's a camp in Oregon, free camp, where people just show up. Nobody, you pay if you can. If you can't, you don't. You bring food if you've got it. If you don't, the community supports you. Mm-hmm. Like it's literally a free collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so each camp works their, their own way. They're all right. autonomous. But the pattern of how camp unfolds is pretty across the board. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you arrive, whatever the campground is like, you get your home space your home base, foods or meals are all prepared, mm-hmm. um, and the, the community eats together. Mm-hmm. Path or workshops, you know, happen in the morning by specific facilitators. Then there's space in the afternoon to do what you want. And then there's evening ritual that follows that myth or story, that right. myth or story of, of that camp mm-hmm. for that year. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much across the board. Mm-hmm. So that also can impact 
you know, like, for example, winter camp, which happens in Wisconsin in February, Oof. they are working with Inanna and the descent of Inanna as their myth this year. Yes. So if you're like, hey, Inanna's my lady, I want to spend a week doing magic with Inanna, mm-hmm. then you might choose to go to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you know, or if... You live in Wisconsin and you always go to winter camp, but you're not really interested in Inanna, then maybe you don't go that year and you try a different camp, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. so even within the sameness, there's a lot of difference, right. a lot of possibility. Well, and that's good because, as you know and I know, um, different mythos impact us differently yep. and create different breakthroughs. Absolutely. And that's the other thing I was interested in is because this technically is not an initiatory yes. um, tradition. Funny, I was totally going to bring that up. <laughs> We're on the same path. Yeah. Um, is that you can explain what the initiation process is if sort of. it is, tr- well, meaning the skeleton process yeah. um, of that because it sounded when I was reading it, it was like, this is viable. Yeah. Again, likening yeah. it to the one thing that I have experienced um, in tradition is very Hawaiian in many ways because of, you know, it isn't that you, we could never become Hawaiian um, kahunas really because we do not know the blood, the energy, the tradition. Right. We are not part of that DNA. Right. And yes, there is a point where you have to say that, but you go through the process and you experience it, and so initiations take place, whether they are officially saying, I have this little title, or it was an experience that initiated us into right. the place of our darkest fear at that moment. Right. Yeah. Now I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm initiated into a few different traditions, mm-hmm. so I feel like I have this very interesting I don't know, more global, uh, that might not be the right word, but I have a different experience of of initiation than I think the average witch pagan practitioner because I do have these different Mm -hmm. styles. Mm -hmm. And in many traditions, you get initiated into something. Right. Into the mysteries, into the next level, into the next elevation. You can't attend a ritual until you're initiated. It, It unlocks the key to something. Hierarchical. Right. And, and reclaiming is done hierarchy. Right. So you don't have to be initiated to teach and reclaiming. Right. You don't have to be initiated to, to go to a witch camp. You don't, have, you don't get any secret keys. My partner, Guion, is also a teacher in reclaiming, and he often jokes, you don't get the keys to Starhawk's truck once you're initiated. <laughs> there's, there's nothing cool about it, but it is more personal of a process mm-hmm. than any other initiation I've been through. Right. The initiation is tailored to the initiate. Right. And that doesn't happen, at least not so far in my experience in other traditions. And the thing is also what's interesting is we don't wear specific badges that says, I'm initiated or anything <laughs> like that. So if you if you want reclaiming initiation, you have to seek out initiators. Right. You have to ask right. for initiation. And and ideally, you're, you have to ask at least three people to be on your initiation team. How neat. And to hold you through this process. And it's really scary mm-hmm. to ask someone to be on your initiation team and to be prepared to hear them say no and and may or may not tell you why they've said no, mm-hmm. or for them to a- tell you to ask again in three months or whatever, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And then your initiators, 
give you challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, ideally, mm-hmm. you you get to know each other, and they start to see some of your your growing edges, mm-hmm. and they give you challenges to help you strengthen those growing edges. Because initiation, just like other traditions, is a death and rebirth rite. Right. So the challenging process, the challenges process, is what steals you to be prepared to die and mm-hmm. be reborn. Mm-hmm. And then what happens in the actual ritual, I can't talk about, that is the one thing in reclaiming that is kept a secret. Other reclaiming witches are very open about it, but and they'll talk about it, but I don't because it was such a powerful experience for me. If I had known everything that was going to happen in that ritual, it would have lost some of the mystery. Mm-hmm. And so I don't tell people what happened mm-hmm. in the ritual. Um but the challenge process can take as long as it takes. It's right. not like, okay, well, in a year we'll do your ritual or whatever. In fact, on average, people are in their initiation for about three years mm-hmm. is usually the average. But if you think about it, yeah. realistically, when you go through something in your life, um, I'm going to use a personal experience. If after Matt died... And I went through my one year of yeah. grieving and mourning, of immediate, of all the first that never uh, he would be here again. Right. I didn't stop. It became a longer process. Yeah. It became different things. Absolutely. And that was an initiation in its own right in a death rebirth, not just the death of your partner, but the death of your relationship and who you, you know, the identity you had at that moment, and then what you change and what you go through. Yeah. So it is very true that that process you talk about that is created within an initiation process for reclaiming mm-hmm. is very much what happens in life. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I feel that that is such a, a great way to focus on something. Yeah. But... I mean, you're also guided. Yeah. There are certain things that you have. You have the initiators. You have people that are there, but they're not going to be right. They're holding your hand, mm-hmm. but you have something to give a container to while you go through. When in real life, you really don't have a container. Right, and that's actually funny. One of my initiators said, you know, treasure this time when you're in your initiation because you can blame everything on it. It frames everything. Yes. Like, oh, I'm in my initiation. That's why this thing is happening, and it's so hard right now, because mm-hmm. you can frame everything inside mm-hmm. that initiation. And then when it's over, it's just life. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Then it's right. just life. But we're always going through initiations in some way, shape, or mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. And my initiation was was very powerful. And in comparison to some of all of my initiations have been powerful, but I feel like my reclaiming initiation was mine, mm-hmm. and it was more intense in that way more than personal. the others I've yeah. been through. And I have also now had the pleasure of being an initiator in the mm-hmm. reclaiming tradition, and every time I, I do the ritual for another human with their team, I'm blown away by what it does and how I think, God, I don't remember this part. Mm-hmm. Every time there's something that happens where I go, oh, I forgot that we do it like this. And I have, like, a spark of a dream 
that right. that comes back. Right. And I love it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. I think it's the most powerful. Between witch camp and initiation, I think that's the most powerful magic reclaiming does. Right. Well, that's And it's interesting because from the information, when Starhawk was going for her counseling degree and she wound up, which I actually have in the books, the hardcover books, Dreaming the Dark yeah. and Truth or Dare. Truth or Dare is a really good book. Yeah. 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 So it's, it was fascinating that she took for her and for as one of the people of this collective, which became more than, you know, that later. But she took some of this information and put it with the spirituality and put it with the political economic consciousness that she was part of and um, yeah. believed in. And, and, again, it became a living, breathing um, process for the now. Yeah. It wasn't taking something like we've been talking a lot about traditions that we don't know what they were like back when they were originally done in, you know, way back time, you know, um, and so we bring it forward. And I guess in one way, and this is going to be one of those where we can get a little hot under the collar, um, <laughs> when you're saying it's neo-pagan, yeah, yeah. it is. Right. Because it's living, right? It's breathing. Yes. It's it's alive. It's yes. it's its structures are open. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's one of the ways that reclaiming um, continues to be powerful. Is mm-hmm. that and and honestly, I mean, to be really transparent, one of my issues with reclaiming is like, okay, I've done the core classes, I've gone to witch camp, I'm doing these things, I'm attending public ritual. Now what? Like, mm-hmm. what's the next level? Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm that kind of person. I'm always looking for the next challenge, and that that's not here. That's your job. Right. What is the next level for you? Right. If there's something more you want, we'll create it. Right? right. And that's amazing and very empowering and frustrating. Of course. But reclaiming is a, in a continuing, continuing to evolve. Mm-hmm. It does continue to shift and change and grow based on the needs of community. Right. Like we started with talking about trans inclusivity and really making it open and available and accessible. Mm-hmm. Right now there's a huge movement about anti-racism and being really clear, reclaiming is a, is a very white bread tradition. There's a lot of white folks in reclaiming. That's not to say everyone in reclaiming is white, but we're working really hard right now to recognize why is that? How do we engage more people of color? How do we keep more people of color engaged in reclaiming? What are we not doing? What is missing? Mm-hmm. And so there are some folks, uh, some people of color who have really stepped forward and have been really brave and started to put on workshops about how we do that kind of work. And that's hard shit to mm-hmm. look at. Mm-hmm. We don't do that very well, especially in America. We don't look at those things very easily. And I feel like reclaiming is really willing to look at the hard stuff and mm-hmm. ask questions and try to do better. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what's going to keep it alive. Right. You know Exactly. And I think that um, I do have to ask a question. So yeah. this is my question to you as a reclaimer person. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is there a lot of infighting? Well, I, I mean, in the sense yes that no. yes and no. I mean, there's a lot of there is a lot of infighting in some traditions. I mean, there's always infighting, no matter what, because everybody, you know, there's these old pockets. But I'm yeah. curious if it's more if it is a because of its openness, because of its ability to to be without 
the, the hierarchical consciousness or the rules and regulations that, you know, structure a lot of things. Yeah. If there is still infighting about who's better or who's mm-hmm. more real mm-hmm. or I'm a true reclaimer and you're not. Gotcha. No, that I don't see. Okay. There's, there's infighting because it's community. Right. You know? So just like anything else where you have people, you have people's stuff. Right. Right? But I have not encountered a lot of I'm I'm – truer than you or I've been doing this longer than you or you know I've I've taught elements of magic 20 times and you've only taught it 19 right there may be some of that that individuals hold because they're still working with their shadow right I've seen that mm-hmm. but I don't see anyone trying to be like queen bee because you know they they have this much experience or they met Starhawk at 1982 and you know whatever. Right. There was a period of time where that was true in mm-hmm. the in the late 90s and maybe even in the early 2000s. It's what I call the diva time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I actually think is reclaiming is evolving as um, as a tradition going through age. Yeah. Like literally. So in the 90s we were like. In their 20s. Mm-hmm. So there were the reclaiming. The reclaiming tradition was in its 20s, mm-hmm. you know. So there were some divas, like a, like a 20-year-old might be. Right. Looking at how flash and fancy and how right. much attention they got. Very sort of juvenile behavior. Mm-hmm. But now we're in our 40s. And that's kind of a waste of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So as a tradition, we've evolved. And where it used to be, there were moments where it was like, look how awesome I am. Now it's who can I bring along with me and make, and help them achieve their awesome so right. I can step back. Right. And I, I've, I've noticed that shift a lot because I've been around reclaiming since 1995. Mm-hmm. And granted, a lot of this was on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I since I started teaching, which is, was in 2000, no, 2010. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 2000. She's okay. She's just, you know, going through uh, warp drive. Right. <laughs> in 2010 is when I started teaching and reclaiming, and mm-hmm. I, I've, I've not encountered that. Yeah. Well, that's a question because there's so much of that out there, mm-hmm. and it's it's prevalent in so many yeah. traditions and people's structures that, you know, you kind of go, can we get off our little areas here and realize the bigger picture. And I've definitely encountered other traditions have an attitude towards reclaiming. Yes. Like, oh, you're fluffy bunnies or yeah. oh, you're the hippies or you're the right. activists. Yeah. You're not the real witches or the real pagans. And often mm-hmm. that comes from people who are in very strict traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't care. Like, whatever. Yeah. You can totally have your opinions. I'm also Gardnerian, so I'm in a very strict tradition. <laughs> polar opposite of reclaiming. Right. But it's balance. Think of yep. what you what you personally just did within your own structure. Absolutely. And people can do that. Yep. You can have the, the structure and then you can have the fluidity. And that's really we have to know we can't walk out into traffic without the stop signs or the, yep. the lights and expect somebody's gonna actually not, you know, officially slam into us. Right. We'd be lucky if they see us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's a structure and then yet the fluidity of knowing when you can dodge around them. Yep. And reclaiming really honors and encourages people to work on themselves, mm-hmm. to strengthen their uh, the, the things that make them shine, mm-hmm. to look at their shadows, to look at their growing edges and and work on those growing edges. It really encourages self-reflection. 
And that's important because even if you are a witch and all you care about is doing spell work, you don't want any of the religious part of it. The stronger you are as a human being, the stronger your spell work will be. Uh So a little self-reflection and a little awareness of your shortcomings and a little willingness to work on those gives you power. And I think that should be the biggest, um, boldest statement in any of the spiritual traditions and any of the, the traditions of helping people. Right. Is work on yourself. Absolutely. Consistently and get out of your own ego. Yep, absolutely. Ego is mm-hmm. a trouble. Mm-hmm. It's about being right-sized, and that, that's a reclaiming thing. A, a, one of those sort of key words that you hear a lot is being right-sized, and we have a tendency to, this is the work of Iron Pentacle, of being really inflated and thinking we're hot shit and nothing can touch us, mm-hmm. and being really deflated and not recognizing how amazing we are. Mm-hmm. And when we're right-sized, we hold that in balance, mm-hmm. and that takes work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easy to be right-sized, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time you have to, I, I am naturally a little bit deflated, mm-hmm. and so I have to take a breath and take a moment and I'll run Iron Pentacle and I, I just kind of go, oh, right, I'm a little bit bigger than this. Mm-hmm. And I can feel myself sort of grow, mm-hmm. an inch, mm-hmm. you know. It's hard to be right-sized all the time. Right. And that's a skill. That's true. Well, you know what? We are at our Holy time. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got excited on this one. I have no notes. I don't know what I'm going to say. And then all of a sudden I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Cheesy, woo. Sorry. It's okay. I think it was great. Um, and obviously next week we will be doing protection. Magic, magic. and stuff. Yes. Yes. So we will see you next week. Next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, Alan, and myself, Gwion Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.